Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel record of Luke. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 5. The Gospel record of Luke and chapter number 5. We're continuing to go through the Gospel record of Luke in this wonderful detailed account of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to spend about 78 messages. We're going to be in it till about December time frame. But there's so much to learn from the Gospel record of Luke detailing the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now as we've been traveling through the Gospel record of Luke, we've already seen the precursors to Jesus Christ through John the Baptist. We've already witnessed the conception. We were there and present for his birth. We followed along Jesus Christ in his early life. And now we're in the early ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. His ministry started off with his public baptism that pronounced to the world that he was indeed God. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted uh, in all manners as we were tempted, went through a, a temptation of 40 days and of course was still without sin. And now in chapter 5, as he begins his public ministry, we can see that he's already been calling some of the disciples to himself. We saw that last time where he... Uh, went and called James and John and Peter and Andrew to become fishers of men. And now as he's continuing his public ministry, we see an interesting event occur in the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 5. The gospel record of Luke chapter 5, and notice with me starting at verse number 17. The gospel record of Luke chapter 5 and verse number 17. The word of God says this, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a man or <laughs> brought in a bed a man that was taken with a palsy and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him and when they could not find <laughs> by what way they may bring him in because of the multitude they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the mist before Jesus and when he saw their faith he said unto them man thy sins are forgiven thee and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thy house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that which he lay 
and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And after these things, he went for, sorry, that's the next passage. If you don't mind, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find inside of the gospel record of Luke and chapter number five? The gospel record of Luke chapter number five. And if you don't mind, notice with me in verse number 20, the phrase, when he saw their faith. When he saw their faith. And with the Lord's help, we'd like to preach a message here. When he saw their faith. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would just open up your scriptures in a special way. And that you would encourage us with the testimony of these friends doing whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. Thank you that you are a God who's able to forgive us of our sins, who's able to work miracles, who's proven yourself over and over that you are indeed God. Help us now as we open up this passage that it may be an encouragement to everyone that hears. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is one of the most amazing stories in the life of Christ to see the faith of these four friends. If you don't mind, as we examine this passage, may I kind of set the context and open this up? The first thing I would like to point out to you is the Pharisees assembled against Christ. The Pharisees assembled against Christ. Now, as Jesus had been teaching in the Galilee area, the Pharisees, who are a religious group that's found in the Jerusalem area, they, the Pharisees, believed themselves to be super spiritual. They did all kinds of things that made them look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're all rotten. They're horrible. And so when Jesus comes up and begins to teach people the simple way to God, they were very offended. They had a very complicated system. And their complicated system helped make them look super spiritual. That's what men do, by the way. The Bible says we're supposed to do all things in simplicity and godly sincerity. Men, we make things complicated. And so these Pharisees had cornered their religion and made it so they were looking super spiritual. And when Jesus came, they did everything they could. They showed up at his meetings. They showed up around just for the purpose of trying to stump him, trying to make him look foolish, trying to get him to trip up. They did everything they could to try to make Jesus look bad. Notice as we pick this up in verse number 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he, Jesus, was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by. Now, these doctors of the law are not medical doctors. These are people who have given their life to the study of the Old Testament scriptures. So these are people who are not just, well, I read my Bible once or I read a passage. These are people whose full-time job is to study the scriptures. And again, they're part of the Pharisees. They make religion very complicated. They know the scriptures. So they're coming in loaded for bear. They're going to hear and take notes on everything Jesus said, not to learn, but to find out, all right? Did he trip up? Did he say something wrong? Is he they're, they're there to evaluate him. Now, if you can imagine how difficult it is for public speaking anyways, how would you like to speak before people who are taking notes to find out all the things that you say wrong? And so they're a hostile crowd. So there's people that, of course, want to hear, 
But for the most part, the people who've got the prime seats, the people who've squeezed their way into this house where they're meeting, they're all antagonistic. They're all trying to find every mistake Jesus has made. <laughs> this is an awful time. The rulers have already been in conflict with the Lord. They've already run and, and bumped heads. The gospel record of John shows the early develop, uh the early developing hostility towards him. So they were hoping and assembling the Pharisees and the doctors of the law. They were hoping that it would be intimidating as they're all loading it up, giving them this hostile audience. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 17. At the very beginning, it's talking about the doctors and the, uh, of the law, the Pharisees. They were sitting by. Notice it says, Which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Now, this is pretty big. Now, <laughs> in Judea is a kingdom of its own, which is two kingdoms away from uh, Galilee. You would have Galilee. You would have Samaria. And then you would have Judea. The capital of Judea is Jerusalem, which is the religious capital of all the Hebrew people. So when it's saying that the doctors and the Pharisees have come out of every region, every town of Galilee, that's a big deal. That they came, if you can imagine Galilee the size of Wisconsin, it's not, it's a lot smaller. But if you can, well, let's just imagine that Wisconsin and all the little towns. They all came from the little towns. But in addition, they came from the surrounding countries as well. And people traveled two countries away just to come and sit with Jesus and be intimidating. They came from everywhere. This is a hostile crowd of public speakers, of national renowned speakers, of professional doctors of the law. But notice at the end of verse 17, it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. These people came to pick at Jesus, to intimidate Jesus. But here it says, God was willing to heal them if they just wanted it. If they would just trust him, the power of God was still enough. He could have healed all of them if they wanted it. Now, we see the Pharisees, they've all lined up. Jesus is speaking and they've filled us up. A different gospel record says that the, there was a press. The Bible here says in Luke there was a multitude. So if you can imagine that it's almost like a Black Friday sale when they still had those such things. And the people are all lined up and they can't wait to get in. And they're all just pressed, standing room only, just squeezing in because everyone wants to hear Jesus. The doctors and the Pharisees have grabbed, grabbed the uh, closest seats. They push their way to the front. Everyone else in town wants to hear and so they're all gathering. Then you would have the bystanders who want to see what all everybody's looking at and they're squeezing by. And so there's full of multitude. It's full of the press. But we see something else. Not only the Pharisees, but we see here the persistence to get to Christ. The persistence to get to Christ. Verse 18. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken of the palsy. And they sought to bring him in and to lay him before. Now the gospel record of Mark identifies that there are four friends. And so these four friends have taken up a bedroll with their friend who has the palsy. And they have heard that Jesus has the ability to hear. And so they had come up with a plan. Hey man, we love you. We're tired of seeing you like this. We hear about this Jesus guy who could heal you. And we'd love for you to walk. We love you so much. And so 
so these four friends carried in like a bedroll. If you can imagine having like a little mattress and then having like um, a sh- uh, a blanket or something that they would use to carry. And so here they haul their friend all the way up to meet Jesus. But when they come to see, there's this big crowd. No one could get into the house. No one's moving. No one's coming in and out. They're all at one place. In fact, they're all pushing and shoving. Now they're carrying a friend inside of a bedroll. And maybe they tried, pardon me, excuse me, but no one moved out of their way. And it's not like it's where they could squeeze through single file. When you're carrying a guy on a bedroll and you're trying to litter him through, it requires an opening and no one's opening for him. Notice it with me in verse 18. And behold, men brought in a bed of a man that was taken of a palsy that they sought means to bring him in, meaning bring him into the house, and to lay him, their friend, before Jesus. So this is their plan. They want to bring their friend. He can't walk himself. He can't come to Jesus himself. So his friends are doing what they can to bring him to Jesus. And if we could just get him in Jesus, if we could just get him in front of Jesus, then Jesus can heal him. But the way is blocked, verse 19. And when they could not find, but by what way they may bring him in because of the multitude, they went up to the housetop. So here's these four friends. They're dragging in their friend. They got to get him to Jesus. Now, most people would say, oh, it's too full. Never mind. Sorry, man, you left... Now they said, no, we've got to get him to Jesus. We can't allow anything to stop us. So let's try over here. And they try the back door. Nope, it's full. They look to the window. Nope, they can't get to the window. How can we get him? And someone looks up and says, hey man, no one's up there. So now they have to bring him up. Now it says they get to the roof, but you understand this is an operation. You're carrying a man who can't walk. And he's on a bed and they've got little blankets that they're trying to hold him up. Now they've got to get him up. And so they get to a place where the crowd's a little less thick and they get up and the crowd's watching them. Can you imagine what in the world? So some guy gets his friend up and then they have to try to haul that guy up and then they all climb up onto the roof. All right, they're on the roof. Now what? Notice if you don't mind, verse 19. And when they could not buy what way they may bring him in because of the multitude. They went to the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the mist before Jesus. Now, again, there's a lot in that verse. It means that they dug through the roof. Now, in those (coughs) days, they had a type of structure where they would have like clay um, tiling that would act as, um, oh, I just forgot it, the, the roofing. And so what they did is that they had to start pulling away the tiling. Then they had to go through the under part where the tiling was laying upon to get to the roof. Now, as much as you would like, this is attracting attention. So, Jesus is teaching a lesson. Here's Pharisees. Come on, say something wrong. And all of a sudden, a little bit of dust starts falling down. Then you start hearing some rumbling. What is that? And then next thing you know, you see a hole and sunlight start coming in. Then you see like a hand pull through and maybe someone's face looking down. I mean, they they have to see where they're going now. Then they have to open up the roof big enough 
to lower their friend who's on a little mat. The whole time, if you could imagine, everyone's silent. I'm, how do you teach with stuff coming from the ceiling now? So everyone's looking and watching this operation. Okay. And they, so they start lowering their friend down and put him right in front of Jesus. I mean, you imagine being in a meeting like that? The roof opens up and some people lower this guy in the middle of a church meeting. We're teaching and all the people are antagonistic. I'm, they're probably not happy with the interruption. Why are you interrupting? Everyone's silent, brings them down. What kind of meeting is this? Now, think about this. Here are some people that were convinced they just needed to get their friend to Jesus. And there were things that they needed to overcome to make sure they could get their friend to Jesus. It wasn't like, oh, I'm sorry, man, I couldn't have. No, we have to get him to Jesus. And we're not going to let anything stop us. We're going to hurl any obstacle. We're not going to allow things to stop us. What are a couple things they had overcome? First of all, they had to overcome a group of people who were hostile to the Lord. There's people who are hostile there and they know they were going to bring their friend to a group of people that were not happy to see Jesus. Would you be willing to take your friend to a meeting if people were going to be hostile that he was there? That's an obstacle some people need to face. A group of people that were hostile to the Lord. Then, here's another obstacle. Jesus was busy. Oh, he's too busy. Can't go. Sorry. No, they said, we can't allow that to stop us. We have to do whatever it takes to get our friend to Jesus. You know something else they didn't let him stop? The roof. You know, what we're trying to say is they did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. You know... Our friends who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they were to die in their condition, where would they go? To an awful place called hell. If they're truly your friend, do you care enough for their soul to do whatever it takes to get them to the Lord? To get them to the place where they could hear the gospel? To get them to the place where they could hear what Jesus Christ has done for them? To get them to the place where they could be forgiven and healed? What would you do? What would stop you from doing that? There was an old preacher who said this. He says, the true measure of a man is not what he can accomplish. The true measure of a man is not what he can accomplish. The true measure of a man is what does it take to make him stop? What stops you? What would keep you from getting your friends to Jesus? What obstacles would you have to overcome to get them, or what obstacles would you allow to be in your way for you to stop? Here are some friends that said, we don't care what it takes. We're going to do overcome whatever obstacle. We have to get our friend to Jesus. So they didn't let any of those things stop him. If they wanted to, they could have missed Christ. And their friend would not have been healed. That's why we need to keep going back to our friends. Maybe at one time they said, listen, don't tell me about Jesus. Keep going back. Don't give up on them. Keep giving them every opportunity. 
Our friends really need Christ and we can't allow obstacles to get in the way to get our friends to the one that can save their soul, forgive them of their sins, and heal them. So we go on, we see the second thing. We saw starting off with the Pharisees, then we see the, their persistence to get to Christ. Then we see the pleasure of Christ. The pleasure of Christ. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 20. And when he, Jesus, saw their faith. Whose faith? The faith of their friends. We have to get him to Jesus. We have to get him to Jesus. He said unto him. Now notice the pronouns. Here are some people that said we need to get our friend to Jesus. Jesus looked at their faith. Those people who were trying to get their friend to Jesus. He gets to Jesus and Jesus looks at that man and says, Thy sins are forgiven. Because of the persistence of their friend, God honored that. And he was pleased with that. He saw their faith. May I remind you that in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God. So what pleases God? Faith. If I could just get my friend to Jesus, they would be healed. If I could just get my friend to Jesus, they would get saved. If I could just get my friend to Jesus. You know, that's a lot of faith on the soul winner. If I could just get my friend to Jesus. If I could just get him. Whatever I can do. You understand, we have excuses all the time. Well, I can't go because I don't have a ride. Praise the Lord, I'll get you a ride. Well, I can't go to church because I'll be hungry afterwards. Well, praise the Lord, here's a bologna sandwich. I mean... Do what it takes. Get rid of it. I don't know how to get to the church. How about this? I will drive to your house right before church starts. And you can follow me to church so you don't get lost. Get rid of the excuses. Tell them. Do whatever it takes to get your friend to there. And God will honor that and bless it. We need to see our friends get saved. Now as we go through. Notice Jesus did not start with his physical problem. He started with a spiritual problem. He says, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. So often we will think about physical problems before we'll think about spiritual problems. I understand that Uncle Bob's got the gout and Aunt Sadie's got cancer. Those are very important things, but is it more important than where they're going to heaven or going to hell? Those are the things that need to be taken care of first. God can take care of those other things. Now, when we go through here, we can see that Christ is actually glorified by healing. But Christ gets more glory when he forgives their sins. And they're going to heaven forever. He gets more glory out of salvation. Now notice there are three things that Christ did not do. Christ did not bring up their past sins. Were these people sinners? Yes. He didn't bring up their past sins. He was willing to take them as they are. He did not fault them for the roof. Now, imagine today someone started to break down the roof to get their friend to Jesus. You think there were some people who would probably criticize? How dare you do that? Jesus didn't criticize them. He was glad they were doing whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. He didn't criticize them for breaking the roof. And then he did not hesitate to forgive. That's our Savior. I'm so thankful we have a loving Savior. Now, that brings us to something else. The perception of Christ. The perception of Christ. Now remember, there's a room full of people, pad and paper in hand, ready to criticize Jesus. 
And so in the midst of this, they were looking for something that Jesus would say. Oh, but what better? We could criticize something for what he said now. So the roof begins to dust. Then a hole appears. And then it opens up wider. And these friends lower their friend in front of Jesus. Jesus looks at them, looks at their faith, looks at him and says, Thy sins are forgiven. Oh, we got them now. We got them now. Notice what they begin to say. Verse number 21. And the scribes and the Pharisee begin to reason saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive God or forgive sins but God alone? Now that's what the Bible says. Only God can forgive our sins dealing with the idea of our sin debt that we owe God. Here Jesus said your sins are forgiven. You're Considered clear, your sin debt's paid. You'll no longer owe God the debt of hell ever again. They're on top of this. Nuh-uh, he just claimed to be God. He just claimed to be God. Oh, we got him now. Verse number 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, you know Jesus knew what they were thinking as they were thinking it. He knows your thoughts too. But Jesus knew what they were thinking as they're reasoning in themselves. They're like, this is the greatest thing. We've got him now. They're thinking this in their head. But he knows what they're thinking and he addresses what they're thinking. By the way, he does that quite often. Do you think it's ever disconcerting for them every now and again when he tells them what they're thinking? Verse number 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, what? reason ye in your hearts. Whether it be easy to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say rise up and walk. Now Jesus begins to examine their thoughts and says alright guys I know what you're thinking. Which one's easier by the way? Trivia question. Which is easier? To say thy sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? Which one's easier? Now they don't say anything yet. I mean, what do you say to that? Which one's easier to have your sin debt forgiven in the standing of God or to be physically healed? Verse 24, but that you may know, I love that phrase that you may know, that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, just to prove that we could, I could forgive him. He looks down to the man and says, get up. I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch and, and uh, go into thy house. Now, Jesus looks, Pharisees, all right, which one's easier? Forgive sins or to heal someone? Just to prove that I have the ability, that God has granted me the ability to forgive sins, get up. And so the guy who's never walked, he's with a palsy. He hasn't been able to walk. That's why his friends brought him there. Immediately stands up before the crowd, takes his bedroll, and walks out. Now, he couldn't get in because of the press, but do you think that they kind of parted like the Red Sea to let him out? He goes out. People, what just happened? never been in a service like this before. Verse 25, and immediately he rose up before them, took that which he, uh, whereon he lay, and departed out of his house, glorifying God, wouldn't you? <laughs> Praise the Lord, look at what God did. I met Jesus, and look at what Jesus did for me. He told me to walk, and he took off and left. Oh, people, what kind of service is this? 
Now, what were the responses of the Galileans? We saw the response of the man. What about the response of everyone else? How do they respond to this event? The roof being opened. The friends bring them down. Jesus looks at them, at their faith. Tells this man, you're forgiven of the sins. The the, uh, Pharisees begin to rumble among themselves. Jesus addresses what's on their heart. Tells the guy, get up and walk. He walks out saying, look at what God did. How did they respond? Notice there were three responses. Now, we're talking about the responses of the Galileans. The Pharisees are already, no matter what, they're going to be ignoring. But what about the Galileans, the people who live there? Verse number 26, they were all amazed. You know, every time someone gets saved, we should still be amazed. It should be still a big deal. Still be exciting. That look at God saving people. He's working. This is wonderful. This is amazing. This is great. Look at what God can do. He can save anybody. Look at what he can do. The, the, not the Pharisees, but the regular people, they're amazed. Wow. Can you imagine being there at that service and seeing everything that happened? They were all amazed. What's another reaction? They glorified God. Oh, look at what God can do. He's done America in our day. Look at what God could do. You know, sometimes we don't glorify God enough. He is a God who's able to work and able to move. Notice something else. And they were filled with fear. Saying, we have seen strange things today. They said, we've never seen anything like this. Oh, never seen anything like this. They were filled with fear, meaning a fear of God. They look, wow, look at what God can do. God's bigger than these criticizing Pharisees over here. Look at what God can do. Now that's the type of response. When people get saved, and that's what happens. This man got saved. He was forgiven of his sins. He's going to heaven. He's in heaven right now. We should still be excited when people come to know the Lord. We should still be amazed. We should still be saying, look at what God can do. It should still do something with us. Never let it get old. Never let it get boring when people accept Christ as a Savior. Never write it off as if it's not a big deal. It is a wonderfully big deal. So much that they said that there's rejoicing in heaven when one comes to repentance. Man, if they're celebrating in heaven, shouldn't we be cheering down here? Some people said, well, I don't get excited about things. Oh, yeah? What about the football season? You shout at your TV and get excited? You get excited about something. We should be excited about the important things of people getting saved. People getting uh, right with God. People turning their life around. It should be a wonderful thing. Now, with that, let me ask you a question. What does it take for you to stop trying to get your friends to the Lord. Remember, the true measure of a man is not what he accomplishes, but rather, what does it take to stop him? These friends were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to the Lord. As we are seeing Resurrection Sunday next week, and we've been encouraging you to invite your friends, to invite your family, to be working on it. We've been encouraging you to pray on them. What obstacles will be in your way to try to get your friend. Will it be just a simple, no, yeah, okay. Why do you take that as, man, I need to get my friend. Let me tell you, this is important. It'd be my, be my guest, be my friend. It'd be a blessing. Why don't you do it for me? I meant 
Are you too good for begging? Is it important enough for you to get your friend? Please come, please. It'd be, I meant mothers, do that for Mother's Day. What can I do? give you for Mother's Day present? Come with me to church. Birthday present, come with me to church. I meant, what are you going to take to stop you? Well, it just is not convenient for me. What can I do to make it convenient to you? Get rid of the excuses. What does it take for, to stop you from trying to get your friends, to try to get your family, to try to get your loved ones to come to the Savior? Do you love them enough to pray for them? Do you love them enough to spend time in prayer for them? Do you love them enough to give them a bologna sandwich or whatever it is if they come and be your guest? Are they worth you taking them out to lunch if they would just come to church with you? What obstacles, what would stop you from getting your friend, your family, your loved ones to church? To get them to the place where they could hear the old-fashioned message that Jesus saves. That Jesus saves. Just as a little side note, my personal belief, I can't prove it. I believe those four friends repaired the roof when they were done. Just a personal belief. But as for us, what would it take to get your friends, your family to the Lord? Now, perhaps there's someone in here that you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. You don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven. Let me tell you the greatest thing that can happen for you today is for us to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. Now, don't let anything get in your way. You say, well, I've been to church all of my life. Doesn't mean that you're going to heaven. Well, I've tried to be a good person. I believe you, but that doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Don't let things get in your way. You said, but people think that I'm saved. Don't let that stop you. What would it take for you to get things settled? It'd be my privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven and that you could be right with God and that you could have a place for you in heaven, that you can have eternal life as a present possession. As for the rest of you, what about your friends and your family? Maybe you just need to say, Lord, show me what will it take to get my friend to church? What will it take to be able to get the gospel to them? Lord, if there's any obstacles, give me the courage and bravery to overcome those obstacles that I could get them to you. When he saw their faith. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know.
we would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.